Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 105 of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and joining us now, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Hey now, man, I can... I feel like my head's just floating, Jeremy. Uh, man, I'm, I'm, I've got some water in my ear or something, dude. I'm floating around over here. Been hanging out with... Uh... Uh, with uh, Aquaman lately, or what's going on? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I guess so. I don't know, man. It's just um, started happening the other day. I got a little bit off balance. Uh, I just contributed to how I thought I ate something with some MSG in it or some shellfish <laughs> in it or something. Um, and I think it was I think it was Thursday. I don't know. But anyway, um, maybe I had some water in my ear from a shower, and then this morning uh, the same thing. And it was, it was actually – fine until I got in a swivel chair and I put the headphones on. It just kind of like threw my balance off. But, hell, the show must go on. We know that, man. We ain't got time to bitch pissing about it. We'll just get through it. Uh, I may have to ask you to repeat a question or two, but uh, uh-huh. other than that, let's get on with it. All right. Well, let's see here. we got a couple of news stories we want to hit first. Um yeah. So let's see, yep. Bobby. I'm going to let you take the lead because uh, we lost a couple people. We missed one last week. We got one yesterday. Yeah. So I'm going to let you take the lead for now. Yep. All right. Yeah. So uh, sadly, um, right after we got finished recording last week, I got a message from my brother. He, we was just texting back and forth, and um, I'd missed it some way, but uh, uh, he sent a thing that uh, Buddy Colt had passed away on March 4th at the age of 85. And um, I was really sad to hear that. Uh, Buddy had everything to be, uh, could have been an NWA World Heavyweight Champion. We know that. Um, man, he just, um, just a good class act dude. I had, I got the chance to meet him twice while I was in Tampa. Uh, uh, think around, I told you this about WFLA um, headquarters down there at the radio station once. And then uh, a couple weeks later, Demo. Link on myself, we're out and we ran into him and, and Dean introduced me to him and it's it was nice to meet him because he's you know very professional man, mm-hmm. well respected. Um, we've talked about it before on uh, 1975. He was the pilot in the, the plane that crashed into Tampa Bay with uh, Dennis McCord, um, Austin Idol there, and Gary Hart, and then of course we lost Bobby Shane. But um, uh, Buddy never could recover enough. He tried a couple matches. Uh, both his feet was torn up pretty bad, but he came back as a manager and a booker and a referee and a, ended up being a TV commentator with the great Gordon Soley. And, um, see, I had a, his real name was Ronald Reed, R-E-A-D. And, um, when he came back, uh, he went several places, but I think he came back from Australia and realized he wasn't being used right. And that's when he changed his, uh, you know, was in the bodybuilding and, and, and stuff like that. And he changed his physique a lot and uh, dyed his hair blonde and became Buddy Colt, and the rest is history on that part of it. So um, uh, just hate to hear that. Mike Moneyham wrote a really nice article about him. Um, Mike was the one that posted it at sun- that Sunday evening, uh, and, I, and I wrote Mike on there, and he said, yes, Bobby, he was a class act, and I will be writing something. Uh, it came out yesterday. It was a really nice article. And uh, Mike just has a way of doing those things. And I'm looking at right now something I was gifted this week. Uh, my brother sent me a book uh, that showed up here. It was uh, uh, Final Bell. 
by Mike Mooneyham, uh, Legends of the Mat Remembered, including, and it has. I've read I've read about three fourths of this book already. A couple of days, um, Roddy Piper, you know Johnny Valentine, Dusty Wahoo, etc. So uh, sadly, I mean, uh, another one may come out, and uh, he can catch up and, and do some of the ones he had to do recently, and and maybe he'll include um, uh, the great Buddy Colt. So we're gonna we're gonna miss Buddy Colt. Um, you know, even though he hadn't been active here for the last few years in the world of wrestling, a lot of us old timers and fans like us, we we remember Buddy Colt, man. So um, that's one passing. You want mm-hmm. me to mention the other one as yep. well? Yeah, let's go ahead and keep keep the depressing stories okay. going. Okay, probably my all time favorite boxer, man. Um, great middleweight, marvelous Marvin Hagler. He was. Um, you know, a lot of people probably say, oh, Bobby, I thought maybe Ali or Tyson would be your favorite. Well, you know, uh, I just always drawn to, to Marvin Hagler, man. He was the undisputed middleweight champion in 1980, defeated it 12 times until he lost it to Sugar Ray Leonard in 1987. He was 62-3-2 and two with 52 knockouts. Uh, thing I liked about him, man, he stayed hungry. And um, he, he was always hungry and always in great shape. And uh, he stepped away when he was on top of the game. You know, he even though he got that defeat there, um, he didn't look back. He was at the right age. He didn't take, you know, didn't didn't stay out there and get punched drunk and and, and waste all of his money or anything like that. He knew when to get out and he got out of it. But um, don't know what happened yet. But at the age of 66, uh, the boxing world lost uh, a great one last night and marvelous Marvin Hagler. And um, man, I just remember so many of his great. Uh, those fights and those middleweights when you had um, Roberto Duran, Tommy Hearns, uh, uh, Leonard, and um, uh, you know Hagler, them guys, they were just they were just warriors, man, just warriors out there. Uh, that middleweight division all through the 80s were, and uh, he was a king of that division for, like I said, through for seven years straight. He was he was he was the man, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we lost him as well. So that's two. Uh, I'm not trying to start off here, you know, being down or anything. That's just two people that I think with what we deal with on professional sports, professional uh, wrestling, and, you know, professional entertainment, that um, that is important that we remember those two fellows there. And um, we'll go from there, Jeremy. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I came across a story yesterday after Marvin Hagler, the news came out. He got into boxing because he got roughed up by a local boxer that was like being bullied or beat up by him. So he got into boxing, and then later on he would win against that guy in a in a uh, fight, in an actual like in ring fight. I thought that was kind of a cool story because it's that that kind of Charles Atlas, you know, like hey fuck you guys, I'll show you in six months, I'll be back here and whip your ass. Don't kick sand in my face. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And real quick before we get started on this week's stories or theme. Billy Corgan has announced that as part of a memorial for the question mark, uh, Josephus, um, I'm drawing a blank on his real last name right now, uh, who passed away recently, his former tag team partner, Aaron Stevens, will be facing Nick Aldis for the NWA title at their pay-per-view at the end of the month. Okay. Um, while I think I think Aaron Stevens is funny, I don't know how I feel about him as a wrestler, but I look forward to seeing this match. Yeah, 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 and I think it'll be actually next Saturday, twenty first, is that if I'm not oh, mistaken? Is that you know correct? What? Uh, next Sunday, I believe. Yeah, you're right. Sunday, yeah, Sunday, twenty first. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. So they have announced that as the title match. I did see where Thunder Rosa wrestled the match last weekend, where she came out with the Mongrovian flag. 
uh, you know, she is a legit badass, so I appreciate everything she does. Yeah. And uh, let's yeah, see. For sure. Yeah. Uh, well, this week we're we're gonna do something a little bit different, not completely different. We did this back around Thanksgiving, where we did a, a show with a yeah. similar theme. Um, we're gonna talk about the year 1981. Now, one of the reasons yeah. this one jumped out at me, obviously, it was 40 years ago, so there's there's a reason to look at it right there. But also, as we were doing some research for other shows, this year kept turning up for a number of reasons. Um, so this looked like it would be a fun one to do, so we're going to do that. Uh, Bobby, you want to tell us anything about the year 1981? Uh, well, um, yeah, one thing that I just, right before we went on the air there, I, I said... Um, Reagan got shot, mm-hmm. and uh, I was a junior in high school. Seemed like uh, uh, right after lunchtime. I could be wrong at the time. I, just, I was trying to think. We had a big glass uh, building. We had seven buildings in our school, all glass. And um, I remember when um, uh, when it happened because everyone's out on campus, and you could see, you know. I was in the classroom, but it must have been during the lunchtime period. Either that or the students, some of the seniors might have gotten left the classrooms or what it was. It it wasn't like chaos or anything, but you just knew something crazy had happened, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't know if he was dead, of course, or not, and people were hustling to get. We didn't have the Internet. And we didn't have TVs in our television sets in every room. I was in the history wing. I know that, the uh uh, building six, and I, like I said, I could see right out to the center of campus there, and they was they were trying to get some TVs to the different, you know, to the different, uh, like if there were three, say three junior uh, science classes, they were trying to get us into one room and 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 get us a or a history class, whatever, get a, get us on t get a TV so we could, you know, because the teachers were interested just as much as the students were, of course. Uh, but yeah, uh, President Ronald Reagan got shot. Um, that was uh that was a big deal that year yeah um uh, and uh i'll let you take over the next couple sure sure How's that? well yeah and i remember that i was in school obviously i'm a little younger than you um i was not a great student so i don't have a lot of memories of school i kind of try to block it all out i remember that <laughs> day and i remember when the challenger blew up i mean because those both happened while i was at school and that's when they started rolling TVs out. And obviously with Reagan, that was before cable TV was everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, we had to try to like, you know, first off in a big concrete building, you got to try to get an over-the-air signal on rabbit ears, which was not easy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I do remember that. Uh, also that year, uh, Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes was the number one song. Okay. Dallas was the number one TV show. And here in the States, REO Speedwagon's High Infidelity was the number one selling album. Wow. Wow. It's a lot of good music out here. I do remember that. Uh, I thought you was going to say Marty Feldman eyes. But, um... <laughs> yeah, it was like on Dr. Nemeno they used to play that. Yeah, it was yeah. one of those. Uh, I knew Dallas was the number one TV show. I, for some reason, I just I just knew that. And I didn't watch it. Uh, uh not that I wasn't a fan. I've you know, seen it since. That I knew the characters. You didn't have to watch it to know no, what the hell was, that was going on. That was pop but, uh, culture. But I knew yeah. that was the, uh, yeah. I knew that was number one show. You know. Um, so yeah, that's just some of the stuff that's going on. I had um, I had some other stuff. Uh, just going to throw off here. Uh, I couldn't find all of them, Jeremy, but I had three that I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm just going to tell them to you, and then you, you know, you tell me if you like them or agree or, or, or whatever, whatever your reaction is going to be. It's, not, it's not, nothing tricky here. I found 
uh, three PWI Pro Wrestling Illustrated covers from that year. Okay. Uh, no, I'm lying to you. I found two January and February. I couldn't find March. And then they started getting real mixed up. And then they wanted this other thing, wanted me to join Pinterest or whatever that is. And anyway, so I got, I thought, well, this is enough because we've got a lot of good stuff on this show to fill in. Yeah. But, uh, so January cover, um, I found interesting. Because um, not because it had Hulk Hogan on it, because we want to talk about Hogan during 1981, but you know he was tied up with who's that? Pat Patterson. Really? Yeah, that was the cover. It was Hogan and Patterson. Oh. I thought that was interesting, uh, and for reasons we'll talk about later on in the show. Um, some of the headlines on there: you could win a win an official Mill Mascaris mask. Um, I don't know. If what the contest, what you had to do to do that, but it was advertised that. And the pinup on the inside was of Bruno, and uh, Bruno's name is going to come up again here later on throughout our podcast, too. The second one, I know you'll pop for this one, man. Um, so the picture was uh, Patera and Morales. That was like the center uh, picture of February of 81, okay? Mm-hmm. But on top of it, there was the free birds. And it said, birds of a feather cripple together. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, and if you bought that issue, the pinup was Ricky Steamboat. Oh, there uh, you go. Just, just, there you go. So just like a couple little items there. I wish I could have found a mock. We could, probably could have done a, uh, you know, the whole 12, um, 12 months there and just talked about each um, uh, PWI cover of, of, of the year of 1981. But I thought that's some interesting stuff there, man, um, especially concerning Hogan and Patterson. When we get down here to to some stuff, we're going to talk about Hogan involved in the AWA and yeah. and stuff like that. So uh, that was just some odds and ends that I found that I wanted to share with you that wasn't on our notes there. Um, but uh, anyway, um, well, you want to start us off with what we're going to talk about on our top ten? Yeah, um, real quick. How, before, how do we go from here? Yeah, before we do that, real quick, I want to say that originally when Roy Shire closed up here in mm-hmm. uh, California. I think Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens, I mean, they floated like to the NWA briefly, but I think they joined with Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle. And I think Pat Patterson was originally with that group before he left to go do other things. I think. Okay. I'd have to look into it. I think you're right now if you're saying it, yes. I think. Okay, well, number 10, um, this is one of the things that stood out to me while we were doing research on territories. There were a couple, there were two major closures in 1981. And one of them was right here in San Francisco. Roy Shire closed up Big Time Wrestling. Uh, He immediately had an interview with the local newspaper or TV station where he let out that wrestling was a work. He was fucking pissed about something. Uh, Because after years in the industry, he just shit all over it. Um, Which (laughs) I have to imagine it was probably Vern that set him off, but I'm not, I can't say 100%. But also, down in Amarillo, the Funks closed up shop that same year. Hmm. Um, back to the big time in San Francisco. Now, you're going to find out more about this in the future. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but um, I heard from a very reliable resource um, that Roy Shire came through Ashland, Kentucky in 1954. Mm-hmm. The year that a young lady graduated, um, I know her maiden name, uh, she was at the matches, and she married uh, Roy Shire and moved to uh, San Francisco. I don't know if they immediately moved there, 
But um, that was his, I don't know if it's his only wife, but that's his first wife. Really? Um, yeah. I should be coming out about just happened to uh, someone. Someone sent me a couple questions uh, that knew where I lived at, you know, and I from Ashland. They said, hey, you have any information about this? And I, and I really didn't. But I do I do know I, I do know the basic uh, premise of the story that uh, he came through for wrestling and married a young lady from Ashland, Kentucky. And uh, I guess they never came back here either. You know, I'm saying it wasn't. Um, there was other companies that came through here. I don't know who he would have been working for then in 54, but, but yeah, um, that's pretty cool. I thought, well, and then for the folks to shut down and that was in 1981. Uh -huh. Um, and I guess that's, uh, they had been going to Japan quite a bit, but that's when they were really, uh, staying really busy in Japan as well as, um, uh, Terry doing a lot of stuff with the, uh, still doing stuff with the NWA, uh, been involved, you know, just involved in wrestling overall. So they, they may have shut that territory down, but they certainly stayed involved in wrestling and didn't expose the business any other than Terry maybe retiring 23 times or what have you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, but, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, it's not real common, at least not that I'm aware of. Usually when a promoter stops promoting, they just kind of shut up and go away. Uh, but Roy Shire, he just like, he just shit the bed, man. He just like, if I'm going, everybody's fucking going with me. <laughs> um, but you know, I also know that 1981 was the start of what they called the Reagan recession, where our economy, I mean, we were coming out of a bad one already with Carter, right. where we had stagflation, but it actually, a lot of people forget this. It got worse under Reagan initially. Yeah. The Reaganomics. Yep. And triple trickle down effect of yep. uh, politics there and money, yeah. Yeah, and um, one of the things that and I'd, I'd like to see somebody graph this at some point. It looks to me like when the economy's on on the up, wrestling goes up, and when the economy goes down, wrestling goes down. And so, if that holds, if that held water, that would explain why you would have two major closures or more, because we don't know what smaller companies would have went out around this time. Right, yeah. But yeah. that would explain why companies are folding right about then. Very, very, yeah, very possible, very yeah. possible. So, well, interesting. And I'm sure there's probably, uh, you know, some smaller companies that, that uh, you know, outlaw maybe tried to open up and also shut down, you know. Oh, so, I'm sure, yeah. Uh, guys looking for work, you know, uh, starting, maybe not starting promotion, but trying to run some kind of a show just to, uh, you know, get some money coming in or what have you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and I know that by this point, Vern was running shows in Oakland and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and you got to remember, I mean, maybe, maybe our younger listeners don't remember this, the AWA was gigantic at this point. It was pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, they covered the map, man. Yeah. They, they really did. They really did. Um, that's interesting, too. Uh, when you look at that, some of the places they went to, uh, you know, just around Iowa and, and up there in Minnesota, just all the cold places, then they go all the way out west like that. Uh, they went some up into Canada, I guess. I mean, it's, it's just... Um, you know, there's probably some pretty harsh road trips back then. Oh, man. there had to have been. Uh, I know that uh, they just had to be horrific road trip through snowstorms and over mountains and around the hills to Grandma's house we go, you know. Mm -hmm. So those and, guys got out there and done it. And well, and a lot of those roads were still older roads back in the 80s. Yeah. You know, before toll roads and all that shit and quadruple lanes and, yeah. 
<laughs> well, let's uh, let's keep moving on here. Let's talk okay. about world championships. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just talk about championships. I forgot I threw one in here because it wasn't world or two in here that yeah. aren't world but are still interesting. Uh, so over in the WWF at this point, Bob Backlund was still dominant, but yeah. old Vince was on his way out at this point. This is where he starts, like, cycling down. But mm-hmm. Bob Backlund was in, what, year number four of a six-year reign at this yeah. point? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I, and I, without looking, I thought, okay, 81, I said, back when I'd be champion there, um, that was a pretty easy one, you know, because um, I knew he had that run then. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the next one I thought was really interesting. Uh, well, the next two are actually pretty interesting. Not that back then being WWE. Uh, F.E. whatever uh, champion is not interesting because um, I'm sure he had pretty good matches. I know he had a good angle with uh, Greg Valentine at one mm-hmm. time uh, at Madison Square Garden. Uh, referee raised the wrong hand, I think, and awarded the belt to Valentine, some controversy, stuff like that. But um, these next two, the NWA and AWA, let's go with AWA um, first. That was uh, pretty much a battle between Bachwinkle and Hogan. Yes. I wasn't sure... Um, in my mind, I was just going. I went like, okay, probably Bachwinkle held this title um, in '81. That's that's where I started my research from, just from my memory. Going, yeah, uh, Bachwinkle. And then I, when I looked it up, it took me to Hogan. And you tell us a little bit about what took place there, because you 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 really know this area well. Um, well, what was going back and forth here? Yeah, and we'll get into how Bachwinkle became world champion at this point, but. Um, uh, so Bachwinkle and Hogan had had a feud, and we're going to get into how that came about as well, too, yeah. here, here in a bit. Yeah. But <clears throat> throughout the next couple of years, as Hulkamania, which was really created by the Ganyas, uh, as it began to run wild, there were a number of matches where Hulk Hogan appeared to beat Bachwinkle for the world title, right. only for Stanley Blackburn to come out and throw the match out, <clears throat> pissing off the crowd every yeah. single time. Uh, yeah. But also, you know, pissing off Hogan as it went, too. Right. Um, so, yeah, 1981 was really the start of that, but it, uh, it continued over the next few years. And it is a major set of events in the future of pro wrestling from this point. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about that in, in debt as we keep on going down through here. Yeah. Now, for the NWA, um, I wasn't quite sure... And um, as I found out, it was a bit more than I thought it was uh, because I knew Harley Race was the champion. Um, and he had it five. He had, he had, that was his fifth title reign. But I knew this happened. I didn't know the exact day. But uh, Tommy Rich beat him on April 27th for his first title reign. Yep. So I knew that. So I was thinking, okay, Tommy Rich, Harley Race and Tommy Rich, that's two champions from 81. And I skipped ahead, and I was thinking, oh, there's someone else I'm going to get to in a second. He also won a title, I think, as his first win. But anyway, so the way it goes, Race uh, wins it for his sixth time over Tommy Rich on May 1st. He holds the title until June 21st when Dusty beats him for his second title reign. Uh And then um, on uh, September 17th, Ric Flair beats Dusty and begins his first title reign. So, man, we had a lot of changes just in that one year. Oh, God, excuse me, my ear's popping. Man, um, sorry if I talked too loud there. Yeah, just, um, um, yeah, the NWA right there, you see 
uh, race beaten rich. Uh, let's see, rich beaten race, race beaten rich, uh, dusty beaten uh, uh, race. Uh, race <laughs> and then flare beating dusty all that man so some top guys in there man that just uh well i'm top guys of course but just that many title reigns uh we're gonna start with april so so from april through september so that's just well you got april may june july august just in a six-month time period yeah. of the year of uh, 1981 there's six different title changes yeah, so that's that's pretty wild, and that was so kind of kind of rare. Yeah, I was gonna say and that's that's pretty uncommon back then. Yeah, you know exactly. Um, you know, and this also, I believe this is where Tommy Rich's uh, taste for booze came from because <laughs> you got to get the taste of dick out of your mouth somehow, right? I mean, come oh, on. Oh, now come. Well, why you want to give Tommy a hard time? <laughs> Someone say something about some fried chicken, cold beer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I I don't I I don't mean to give Tommy Rich a hard time. I just I have to address those rumors that come up. Now, Mr. Know. Barnett was good to me. Now I'm gonna tell you, and I'm gonna tell you this. This here on, on April on April twenty, I didn't say uh, Harley. Harley's good people. Harley's just good people, man. And and, and Mr. Barnett was just good to me. <laughs> let's go to Franny's house. We'll go through the hood oh, here, okay. and let's get some uh, some fried chicken and cold oh, beer. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, okay. I gotta. I'm gonna get tears in my eyes here in a second. Oh, well, another thing I came across. I thought this was really interesting, and I don't. Yeah. Know so if- there we covered AWA, WWF, and NWA, and then here's what you found interesting, and I like this too. Yeah. Where you're going to next year? Now that you're done laughing at Tommy Rich. Oh. <laughs> Well, it wasn't so much laughing at Tommy Rich as laughing with him. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, NWA Pacific Northwest, which a lot of people probably now, if you didn't know about it, was a gigantic territory back in the day. It put it with Florida even, maybe. Um, that's where Buddy Rose came out of there. Roddy Piper came out of there. A lot of big mm-hmm. names. Um, and this year, 1981, I don't know if it was because business was hot or cold. Yeah. But the NWA Pacific Northwest title turned over a million times, Bobby. I'm going to list these real quick, okay? Right. Jay, now, all of this is just in 1981. Jay Youngblood held the title five times. Buddy Rose held the title five times. The Destroyer held it once. Matt Bourne held it once. Our friend, Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal, held it twice. And our other friend, Vacated, held it three times. Yeah. Vacated. Hope you're doing good out there, man. Mm-hmm. I am vacated three that's, times. That's right. That's <laughs> 17 title changes in a year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know if you call that hotly contested or if they just kept turning people over. Or... You know, I wonder if um, two questions come to mind. I'm, I'm thinking about this. I wonder if some of those guys were coming in and out of the territory Namely, uh, the destroyer there, him coming in and back out, and maybe Regal too because he he try. I don't know, but see the other three that that seems with Buddy Rose, Jay Youngblood, and Matt Bourne, they seem to stay up in that area quite a bit. And I'm just wondering if the other guys were traveling over to Japan or were doing some other work. Um, you know, for some other NWA territories or what was going on. Like Youngblood could have been over to Carolinas, you know? Yeah. Uh, but if you come back every time they was getting the title back, when I'm, I'm not so sure what was taking place. And then again, you mentioned the um, uh, economy. Uh, 
you know, you're talking about the Pacific Northwest up there. The, you know, you, again, you, like you said, uh, to be a little bit redundant, you don't know if it's because the territory is hot or because it was cold. You yeah. know, were they trying to pop it or, you know, um, well, there's this, you know, let's see, uh, put it on Jay again because, um, you know, he had it a couple weeks ago and we, you know, drew a couple thousand more people. Let's, let's do this. You know, I don't know. So if anyone out there knows, fill us in, man. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's an answer. Yeah, well, you know, and I wonder Rock Rims may have written something about this already or is working yeah. on a book about it. But, um, you know, I'd be interested in seeing that. Because, you know, also, and not to get too far out ahead of ourselves or over our skis, 1982 is when L.A. closes up shop. And yeah. L.A., San Francisco, Portland all were kind of a loop back in the day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with Hawaii in there as well. But... Um, I wonder if, you know, the the pressures here on the West Coast were just a lot worse than I remember. I remember building, because my dad was a plumber. I remember building was in the shits at this point, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to hit this real quick. Uh, so Nick Bockwinkle became the AWA World Champion when Vern Gagne retired that year. They right. just gave him the title. Because he's Bockwinkle, greatest world champion of all time. You just give it to him. That's, that's how you handle that. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> that would set the stage for Triple H just being handed a world championship eventually as well. But Yeah. Um, and then one other thing about San Francisco I discovered. I found this to be really interesting. Now, I knew Dusty Rhodes was the U.S. champion out here in this territory at one point. Yeah, you've mentioned that before. Yeah. Uh, but what I didn't realize is that he was uh, U.S. champion when it folded here. Um, which made him the last U.S. champion for uh, NWA Big Time Wrestling in San Francisco. But it also was the last U.S. title not under Jim Crockett's control. Okay. So after Dusty folds with that title, Jim Crockett now controls the last standing U.S. title in the NWA. And at a point, every every territory of the NWA had a U.S. champion. And at this point, just one does. So I found that to be really interesting as well. Because we're going to run into that again, too. All right. Okay. Yeah. Number eight, Andre the Giant. A couple things about Andre. I did not know this. um, I don't know if you did or not. But, you know, being wrestling fans that we are... um, I didn't know what feud of the year would have been in 1981, and if you'd have said this was feud of the year to me, I, I would be, I, I would have to just say, okay, you know, let me, let me have some facts about it, you know what I'm saying? Because I was not aware of this, uh, being the the biggest, you know, heated angle of 1981, but apparently it was, um, it was a uh, May the second Killer Con breaks Andre's left ankle to be to be what would become the feud of the year. Yeah. Now, um, I, that was in May. Um, do you recall anything about this at all? Uh, magazines, uh, uh, see, had you know, TV, anything at all about that? I don't. Um, I no, really don't. No, I. Okay. Um, just, just stuff like this where I'm sure we've come across that or read that somewhere. Right. Um, I knew Andre the Giant had a broken angle, ankle angle somewhere, right. but I didn't remember any specifics about it. Right, myself as well. And then they take it through uh, 
what is that, June, July, August, September, October. Six months later, uh, on November 2nd, Andre wins in a Mongolian stretcher match, stretcher match to end the feud. The, place took, uh, the match took place at the uh, Spectrum in Philadelphia. Now, they had that on some kind of a... Um, uh, it wasn't a pay-per-view, but closed they did circuit. something. Yeah. It, was a, it was kind of a closed circuit. I, I did read that also. I'm not sure what kind of business they did. So I guess they were working some... Uh, maybe in April, uh, then in May, Khan breaks the ankle. Uh, he comes back in six weeks or whatever. They do work it over a six month period for Andre. Now I found this, uh, I'm not sure. Does a Mongolian stretcher look anything like, you know, stretchers they carry out here in American hospitals or was it a special I, stretcher? Or? I believe Mongolian stretchers are made out of horse hide, I'm pretty sure. Well, I was wondering that, yeah. and I was wondering how if they just, you know, two big Mongolian men just come out and pulled it like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just found that fascinating. A Mongolian stretcher match. Yeah, oh, I love, so. you know, everything is so regionalized in pro wrestling when they do this stuff. It's not a strap yeah. match. It's an Indian strap match. It's not yeah. a... It's not a death match. It's a Texas death match. It's not a, right. you know, just everything's got to be. not a strap be. match. It's a lumberjack match. Exactly, yeah. They, they always just be a stretcher match, Andre and Khan. You guys are going to do something very special. You're yeah. going to have a Mongolian stretcher match. You know, I always found the Mongolians a very interesting people. I mean, the older the older days of the Mongolians, because their warriors basically at the age of three got tied to horseback, and they'd live there <laughs> for a while and they yeah. had they had a move called the mongolian retreat which is they would send their guys out to engage like at lance range right so horse to horse okay. and then they would they would signal a retreat so all their guys would then turn around and haul ass off well the mongolians made a fucking powerful short bow so the Mongolians would ride off. The other guys, thinking they had the advantage, would take to chasing them. And then the Mongolians would all turn around in the saddle and fire arrows into the people following them. And they couldn't do shit but get tangled up on the people in the back row behind them. So the Mongolians would just slaughter them. Damn. Um, and that's, I mean, that's part of how, you know, you get that, you know, Genghis Khan created the lo- largest contiguous land empire ever in human history. Part of that was because the land was empty, but the other part was because people didn't know how to fight against a tactic like that. Yeah. You think you've got the advantage, you rush in, well, then all your men are slaughtered. So a group of, like, 10,000 people could take on a group of 500,000 and would stomp their ass. (laughs) Always found that interesting. That is, yeah. Yeah. And that's why you're a professor, too, by God. Well, I love pro wrestling and military history. Those are my two two fields of study, yeah. Another interesting thing about Andre on December twenty four, ah, shit, December twenty first, the Sports Illustrated that came out that week done a piece on Andre the Giant, and up until that time, it was the largest article about professional wrestling, uh, a professional wrestler up until that point. I thought that's pretty interesting. Um, and then the other big thing was. Um, uh, Andre and Stan Hansen had a battle to a no contest in Tokyo on December 23rd. So I'm not sure what the timing was on the 21st article uh, in relation to his big fight with uh, with having feud of the year and with having uh, where some mainstream, you know, basically a mainstream sports magazine. Yeah. Uh, and then also just a couple of days later going to be in Tokyo. Uh, uh, imagine it took place at the Tokyo Dome or what have you. Uh with uh, with uh, Stan Hansen, so that's pretty interesting. So as you can see, uh, 
with all these different champions we've mentioned up through here, and we've talked about this before, um, Andre's still so over. He doesn't need the title anywhere. He's just he's just Andre the Giant, you know, mm-hmm. and he's traveling throughout the world apparently, um, and getting worldwide coverage um, uh, on Sports Illustrated, etc. So that's that's pretty interesting, man. Uh, you know, it, it is. And first off, you got to say like a match in Japan between Andre and Stan Hansen that had to sell fucking half the tickets to the event alone. Because they were both, I mean, Stan Hansen was so over in Japan anyways, but then Andre is just such a draw, just such a feature to have on your show. That had to have been just a wild, wild thing. I can't say there's probably a lot of great wrestling in that match, though. Probably not a lot of mat maneuvers, probably not a lot of uh, pretzel holds and standing scorpion locks and things. Yeah, Uh, Probably a lot of chop slaps and uh, clotheslines, though. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Probably. I'd right. say it's very respectable selling, I would say. Oh, I would imagine, yeah, because these are you two know. guys that, yeah. That's and you got to remember, Andre could move at one time, so uh, I would imagine it's pretty um, pretty good match. Pretty good match, just not a lot of technique uh, wrestling, like you said. Well, technical yeah. Technical wrestling. But, yeah, that's, but, that's uh, not what either one of those guys did. They right. Brawlers, right. you know, yeah. Um, God damn it. And, and can you imagine just how how much taller they were than everybody in the audience just those two guys <laughs> you know yeah jesus christ um let's keep going let's talk about tag teams so number seven is tag teams that year yes uh over at the awa at the start of the year adrian adonis and jesse ventura were the tag team champions but they'd go yep. on to lose them to jim brenzel and greg Gagne. yeah you know about that time uh i used to see some awa on the uh, the old memphis tapes uh and to be, and also I read the magazines, and I would imagine uh, those guys there are probably want to cover some of the ones I didn't find. Like I said, I can imagine because I know the uh, Adonis and Jesse Ventura. I knew those a tag team in '81. Uh, I do remember that. I don't remember them losing to Brunzel or um, Greg Gagne there. Um, it's just because maybe the um, to me. Uh, at the time, maybe, you know, those are so much more colorful, uh, Ventura and Adonis were, you know, what were they, the, uh, East, uh, East, West East, connection, West connection, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And Adonis had the biker look going back then. Um, tough guy as Jesse was just, you know, had that, the body, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it just, uh, uh, and, and, uh, Frank was in pretty good shape. Adrian Adonis was in pretty good shape. You know, he wasn't, wasn't blown up completely like he had, you know, but, um, I remember them being AWA champions, but I don't recall, you know, that, and it might be because they, they put them on Memphis a couple of times, highlights or something, you know, yeah. what was going on around the around the loop there or something. But uh, uh, and then Brunzel and Greg Gagne, so they were, um, what were they? Did they have a special name? I, um, uh, they were the High Flyers. I want to say that's what I was going to say. That I, I, no, because I'm. Th- I'm getting that name High Flyers. I'm getting it mixed up. I'm thinking of uh, what was Bobby Eaton and uh, 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 what's his name? Um, George, uh, Georgie, uh, were they? Anyway, I'm, I'm getting mixed up on that. They had a name. I know that. But anyway. It was the High, it was the high Flyers, Greg Gagne and Jim okay. Brunzel. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I was just getting that mixed up for somewhere. And the other were East-West Connection, right? Yep. 
Okay, good deal. And moving over to the WWF, who do we have there? All right, so that year, 1981, we had the Moondogs. Okay. And then uh, Rick Martel and Tony Gurria. Okay. And then Fuji and Saito. Yeah. Now, if you'd asked me who would have been there, um, I, I, I had forgotten about, and I think they had a pretty good run with Martel and Gurria, but mm-hmm. I would have I would have thought um, the Moondogs would have still been in Memphis, to be honest with you. Uh, so I would have missed that one. But Fuji and Saito, I could see them being, you know, champions up there. Um, even though, I mean, I know all three of them were, it just seemed like in my mind I was thinking the Moondogs were, you know, they, they was out of Memphis area, so I was, wasn't sure they would have been up up to the New York area at that time, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's my only reasoning, nothing nothing against it or anything. I just uh, I just recall being more to Memphis and seeing them on that TV and, and not so much because I didn't get that, you know, WWF TV back in the day. But all those are great guys, great talents, you know. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, you're right. If, if you were to ask me just off the top of my head, hey, who do you think would have been tag team champion 81 WWF or whatever, I would have yeah. literally been like, uh, pff, you got me, man. I, I Yeah, don't and know. then if there's multiple choice, I'd have chose Fuji and Saito. But, yeah, probably. You know, uh, yeah. So, okay, this is your specialty area here, man, oh. is the NWA, how it gets a bit messier here. So what's going on here with the uh, NWA titles, uh, tag right. team titles? We've so, got a couple of things. <laughs> so as we have covered here a time or two, every NWA territory was allowed to have their own United States champion and their own world tag team champions. Mm-hmm. So as of 1981, that was still the case. So it's a little hard to track because you have Georgia Championship Wrestling, you have Los Angeles, you have uh, Mid-Atlantic. So you have a number of world tag team champions, and you have them at the same time. So it's hard, hard to track. So the problem is like you and I are doing research and we've come up with two different names for each area area and territory. You're going to be like, oh, well, which of these guys were the tag team champions? But what I did discover was that all came to an end in 1982. So 1981 is the last year where that was the case. In 1982, when Los Angeles folded, much like the U.S. title when San Francisco folded, that meant the only existing World Tag Team Championships were Jim Crockett's in the Mid-Atlantic. So that holds that spot. But for Bobby, for me and you, who, who was the greatest tag team champions that year? Oh, the Freebirds. That's right, the Freebirds. Absolutely. Yeah. Freebirds. Um, I'm not sure uh, we got all this, uh, even in the research. Okay, so the Freebirds were over in Georgia, and they had those championship belts. Mm-hmm. And then apparently on Thanksgiving evening for a uh, NWA over in the Mid-Atlantic, they had a tournament, and they beat, it said, only and um, Ole and Arn, but I, I'm pretty sure it, I think that should have been uh, Gene, right? You you correct me on that. I well, I, I know. I just know the way it read, you know. Yeah, now maybe but that maybe that's one. So yeah, that's what we're going with exactly, and maybe that's the year that Gene retired, and so you start the year with Ole and Gene, yeah. and then end with Ole and Arn. That that maybe, could very well be, but that, yeah, that may have been the bleed over right there. But either way. We looked at it at that point saying the Freebird because they had won Georgia and they had won a Mid-Atlantic, and that kind of started. Um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, too, um, 
those were the belts. They had belts. That was a, it had been a trophy at some point mm-hmm. uh, uh, in several, not maybe not all regions, but in that, that one region, it was a, it was a, um, uh, uh, a trophy. And exactly. That was a, they gave them belts. So we'll go up to Freebird and take that spot uh, for NWA for that year and leave it at that, you know. Yeah. Um, and you can correct us if we're wrong. Uh, and feel free to uh, just hit me up at Bobby Blaze. Uh, 744 on uh, Twitter. Hit uh, the professor up at the Geekish Cast on Twitter, or look at the joint account, which is uh, Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter. And my ears are ringing right now, and I swear I'm just like. So I hope everyone understood what I was getting at there. Um, it's not that we want to be wrong, but if we miss something, uh, we like to be uh, have some uh, fan interaction. And uh, we appreciate you when you do get a hold of us on that fan interaction. I know there's a um, Facebook page out there also called Bell to Bell Blaze that Jeremy takes a look at from now and again. But I mostly stay on Twitter and um, uh, go from there. And if something comes up, uh, we do like fan interaction. We had someone, a couple ideas for shows this week. Uh, uh, sometimes they're good ones. Sometimes we're just like indifferent on them. And um but we do get a lot of good feedback on those um, on our Twitter accounts. We appreciate that very much. So um, let us know who you might have. I think our fans wouldn't argue too much if they they said, well, Bobby and Jeremy picking a free bird for tag team uh, 1981 probably wasn't too far off, you know. So um, anyway. Yeah, I, I would think that our audience would definitely uh, go along with that. Yeah. Unless, unless there's maybe one or two holdouts that we just don't know about out there. Right. And, right. and maybe those are the guys who don't hit us up on Twitter because they, uh, they're like, if I can't say something nice, I'm just not going to say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we appreciate that, man. You know, we appreciate that. Um, but you have your own opinions, and feel free to share them, you know. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Well. All right. Let's go on to the next here. We're going to handle a couple. We're just, just real quick. Yeah. We're talking about a couple people that would be eventually involved in the industry who right. were born in 1981. And honestly, this list was really long. I just grabbed a handful of names off the top. Right. I, I saw it too. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Shad Gaspard, who passed away last year, he was right. born in 1981. Daniel Bryan, I would say a guy who was poised to be the biggest name in pro wrestling there for a couple years. He was born in 81. Mm-hmm. Velvet yeah. Sky. What can I say about Velvet Sky? <laughs> well, she was born in 1981. Um, Kofi Kingston was born in 1981. Velvet Sky's tag team partner, the Angelina Love, was born that year. And Asuka was born that year as well. Yeah. A lot of talent right there, man. A whole lot of talent. Lot of talent, yeah. And, and my apologies to anybody I didn't include on the list. I just didn't want to go on for days with a list. Yeah, it was quite a list. I saw that. The one that stuck out to me when I was looking at it was Daniel Bryant. Where well, actually, Shad uh, stuck out right away because of his recent story where he passed away. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, Daniel Bryant and then Kobe Kingston, because I, you know, I think they're both tremendous. Performers. Not to take anything away from any of those three girls you listed, three female wrestlers, because yeah. they're all very talented as well. Asuka's just in a league of her own, man. But, uh, you know, so you picked out the ones that, you know, would have, uh, not, again, not to, to discriminate against anyone we didn't add on her. That was just some names that really, really have had some outstanding careers 
uh, you know, in the, in the wrestling in their years. So, um, you know, I'll be born way back in 1981. Yeah. The, the very long 40 years ago, folks. I know. I know. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, Daniel Bryan. I mean, I, it's almost a fucking shame what happened to him, you know? Um, yeah. just cause like, you know, he goes from R O being, you know, being a big, big dog in ROH signs with the WWE and just gets shit on for years Finally, they let him get a grasp on things, and they're like, "Oh yeah, but now you have a brain injury." So, uh, yeah, you know, sorry, man. Then they let him come back when he's forty. Okay, all right, thanks everybody. Uh, Kofi Kingston, there's a lot of fucking talent. I've I've yeah. missed, I've slept on this guy pretty hard. I I don't give him credit when I should, but the you know walking on your hands and shit, never touching the ground in those battle royal matches. The dude is just class act. I mean, he is yeah, just outstanding. For sure, for sure. And then Asuka, an argument could be made that she's one of the top five wrestlers of this generation. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Very talented, very yeah. talented. And, um, you know, the thing about that is um, just mentioning her age. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when I said, you know, that's 40 years ago, uh, and she's been on the scene, you know, just in the U.S. here the last few years or whatever. Um, it really amazes me um, how good she looks, how good she moves, how well she takes care of herself, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, she's one of the ones on here that uh, – not that I know any of the other ones other than Daniel Bryan had the injury there. She's just um, – Oscar just looks a lot younger than that and, and, and still um, very athletically uh, – just just moves a lot younger, I think, than a 40-year-old person, you know. Well, um, I would never guess that based off her uh, in-ring performances, to be honest you know, with that, you. know, that, that is something that I actually like to talk about a little bit, because remember back in the 90s, like in your heyday, right? They were like, oh, Hogan and Flair are too fucking old. And, you know, the WWF had this whole, like, skit they do about how old everybody was. Yeah. They were all younger than AJ Styles is now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like by a good, a good number of years, okay? Look at all these people in their 40s who are fucking still in great shape. Still yeah. look great. I mean, I wouldn't guess Velvet Sky's 40. No. You no. know, Kofi Kingston wouldn't guess that he's 40. Daniel Bryan, I'd say, like, in my head, if I looked at him, I think he's maybe 35. Right. I agree with you. I, I would go 35 or younger for all these people, but just look at them for what they take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, I know a couple things come to mind. Carl Gotch always said that uh, between a wrestler between 35 and 45 is the best. That's the prime of their life. Yep. Um, and because you know you're getting to know the business all those years, you're maturing in the business. Uh, you know, obviously if you're staying injury free like you should, and 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 working all the different at that time territories and stuff, you know, you're gonna know your craft in that in, in 10 years like that, you know. And I know on uh, Cornette's podcast they was talking about. I just caught a piece of it. Um, the man that you would put on there, uh, in her, in her, in her, being forty-five years old, who would you choose uh, to represent? You know, uh, wrestling at at a forty-five-year-old uh, Terry Funk, or, which I'm a fan of Terry Funk, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, or Nick Bockwinkel, and I think Bockwinkel is <clears throat> the obvious answer, man. When Bockwinkel was forty-five years old, man. He just so looked so great, could work great. Um, even at fifty, man, that guy just um, you know those those five years right there, forty five to fifty year old. Uh, Bachwing was the man, you know. Yeah. And um, I don't know, so just poise, self poise, uh, interview, um, uh, rain work, 
uh, everything about them, you know, just at that point, uh, that's a good age to be at for these guys. I mean, I don't see why, um, other than Shad, and I don't mean as a joke or anything like that, I don't see why any of the other ones on that list can't stay another, you know, uh, 10 years in the business, as, as, as probably five to seven years as performers, but also with, you know, behind the scenes stuff, uh, uh, production maybe, uh, booking, you know, uh, agents, uh, some of the most, you know, things they have going on now, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, and another thing is, I think people a generation or two before these guys, okay, so before people who are about 40 now, I think they lived a lot harder, you know, 20, 25, 30, 40 years ago. You yeah. It's like, look at Harley Race. I mean, Harley Race would wrestle, you know, for an eight-hour day, drive for four hours, drink a 20-pack yeah. of beer, and smoke five packs of cigarettes. Yeah. Um, you know, fucking nobody smokes anymore, really. Um, uh, you know, Daniel Bryan, he's a vegan, so obviously he eats better than anybody did 25 years ago. Um you know, you just look at everybody there. They just, I imagine, probably take better care of themselves than yeah. You know, everybody else. You know, think about like Ric Flair. Fucking only half his heart was working, but he was in such good cardiovascular <laughs> health, it still pumped twice as much blood as anybody else. Yeah. You know. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Um, All right, man. Let's move on here to mm-hmm. number five, which is uh, the PWI Editor's Choice Award for the first time that year went to Bruno Sammartino. That has since been named to an editor, um, and I'm drawing a blank. When I was doing my research, I did not write it down. But um, let's go through some categories here. So they, ha- they do have a they do have an editor choice award every year uh, since this was the first year he did it in '81. But let's just talk about uh, who the wrestler of the year was, tag team of the year, uh, match of the year, etc. According to PWI here, Professor. All right. Well, let's start with uh, the wrestler of the year was Ric Flair. Yes. Of course, this was the year he would go on to win his first NWA title, so he must have been like a 30-time U.S. champion by this point. Yeah, since he won that match in September, you have to imagine... He he came on strong at the end, obviously for those last the last quarter or whatever. But you got to wonder, you know, in between there, how busy he was staying, getting getting ready to be, get that first championship belt. You know. Yeah. Um, I would imagine he was having some very good matches with Harley, uh, Dusty, and 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 a few other people in between. You know, um, and having you know four and five star matches. I would imagine every night and. Building up to those forty-five minute an hour Broadways, um, building up to the September or whatever it was twenty-seventh date or whatever it was. Yeah. So yeah, wrestler of the year, Ric Flair. Mm. Yeah, and of course, Ric Flair was the guy that you know the the when they call him the all night man, they're not just talking about in the bedroom. They, they did <laughs> yeah. go out work all fucking day, stay up drinking and fucking all night, and then go out and work all day the next day. You know. Yeah. Um. You know, that, okay, so 1981 Tag Team of the Year for PWI was the Fabulous Freebirds, an yes, excellent, sir. excellent choice for the, from PWI. Yeah, and that was Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. Buddy Jack hadn't come on at that point yet. Mm-hmm. But they were the Tag Team of the Year. Uh, like you said, great choice for PWI. Now, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. Both of us were a little bit surprised. Um only because maybe we didn't have, for whatever reason, maybe, I don't know why, we just didn't get the coverage that was out there available for this match. And that is uh, Andre the Giant versus uh, Killer Khan. That was the, the PWI match of the year. 
So um, there you go. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, roll that one around in your head. Does that sound like the kind of match that would be like the match right. of the year now? I mean, right. And again, we got to look at Andre being able to move back then. Yep. Like you talked about versus Hanson, and the same thing here against Khan. You know, they was probably doing a lot more than what we're giving them credit for. It might not have been the most technical wrestling, but there was some. You know, there was a lot of action and fighting and and uh, combat sport going on in the ring. So. Oh yeah. Uh, this one doesn't surprise me. If you'd asked me who it was, I could have probably guessed it because I was in high school then and all the daggone little girls, man, um, and some of the big girls too. Uh, uh, their most popular wrestler of the year, that was that blonde hair from Hendersonville, Tennessee, Tommy Wildfire Rich, man. Yeah. And um, I mean, even a few years ago, uh, uh, Maybe, I don't even know in my head how many years it's been, but, uh, you know, I'd had girls come up to me, ladies that come up to me and say, you you travel with Tommy Rich? You got to know Tommy Rich? And, uh, you know, I'm a lady about 40 years old probably. Uh, and I'm like, yeah. And goes, oh, my God, he was my high school crush, my dream guy. You know, I've had people tell me that before. Uh, so, yeah, and I, Tommy Rich, man, most popular the rest of the year, that does not surprised me one bit and i know how over he was uh because we got to georgia tv of course and of course that's when he got the title and everything but uh they came to the huntington and charleston this market quite a bit um you know a couple three times a year uh on their loops up here and he was you know pretty pretty damn popular man so it's been hard to beat uh him winning uh anyone beating him for the most popular rest of the year so oh you know and he had that um that rock and roll express kind of popularity that uh von eric boys kind of popularity like, yeah oh yeah like what are all those girls doing in the wrestling audience kind of popularity <laughs> um you know they always talk about they had the matinee idol looks which is kind of an older that's like a late 60s concept but you know yeah. they were definitely grooming him for a style and a look and you know, I, you know, I'd probably much like goldberg when you get something that hot that breaks away you put the title on it just to see what happens yeah. Know, like, fight. You don't know. I, that thing could be the biggest thing that ever happens. You don't know. I know. I don't know if this was 81. I think it was. Uh, I'm, I'm most positive it was. The uh, NWA came, I think, what Georgia Championship Wrestling came to the old uh, Memorial Fieldhouse. And Tommy Rich had, um, I guess, forgotten his, uh, gotten his gear and his gimmicks. I don't know. Uh, what was going on with him. But anyway, man, he come to the ring, hit the ring. Might have been a street fight or something. His wife forgot his stuff because he had his jeans, boots, and doing the stuff with Buzz Saw back then, uh, Buzz Sawyer or whatever. But anyway, he had a trucker's hat, and they auctioned that off and got like $45 out of it or something. But that was his gimmick money at night for his beer, you know. Right on. And, uh, the hat that he wore to ring, um, you know, to come to the street brawl, they – uh, he wasn't selling merch, but they did an in-ring uh, auction, and um, like I said, it's just an old, uh, you know, baseball cap, tracker's hat, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I think they got like forty-five bucks out of it, and I'm sure he was happy as hell, you know. Oh yeah, uh, forty-five uh, bucks will buy a lot money. of beer. Oh and, yeah, back and chicken yeah, wings, yeah. yeah. There you go. All right, so who was the most hated wrestler of the year? Well, that would be the strongest man in the world, Ken Patera. Yeah. So if you go 81 in my mind, uh, Patera, like I said, he's on cover of the magazine uh, mm-hmm. on on uh, February of that year uh, with, against Morales. So apparently, he, you know, he um, he had done quite a bit of nasty, hateful things that year to be uh, the most hated wrestler of the year. 
So um, he hadn't thrown any bricks through McDonald's yet. But, Not yet, but he was uh, working he up to it. He was this back in 81 to be the most hated Ken Patera. Yeah. Found this one fascinating. We talked about this off the air last week because this is one of the ones you threw out at me. Yes. Um, if I'd have said to you, almost kind of like you said to me last week, and I just, you only read like two of these to me, and I said, yeah, let's do it. If you just said, Bobby, who do you think the most popular, or I'm going to ask you, Jeremy, who's the most improved wrestler of the year in 1981? Would you have guessed the name we're going to tell? No, I would not have because he was. I would not have either. Yeah, he was quite a bit into his career. I, you yeah. know, I just, I wouldn't expect it. And do you want me to say who it was? Well, I'm going to put it this way. Everyone sure. out there in our listening audience, wrestling fans, raise your hand if you think you know who the most improved wrestler of the year was in 1981. And when the professor tells you, go ahead and put your hand down if you got it wrong. All right. So that would be the uh, not satanic Kevin Sullivan. Yeah. Now, how many people still have their hand up? Uh, I, Man, he was well into his career at that point. Yeah. And here he is still most improved wrestler of the year. That's... Um, that's pretty damn good, man. Man given to his craft, you know. Yeah, and and you think about, it, I mean, we've all seen Kevin Soul, but I don't, I don't think he ever sucked at his job. I mean, I don't. No. I don't think that's the case at all here. And you know, the thing is, he kept on improving uh, even after his eighty-one. You're talking about he he improved as a Booker. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, he just he his mind is one of the greatest I think ever him and Cornette to me, you know, have two of the greatest minds of professional wrestling, uh, for running angles and, and, and doing business and stuff. But, but yeah, this is 81 hell. Sullivan went on to a lot more of, uh, I think he kept improving through the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, anyway, that's pretty cool. Yeah. He hasn't, he's lived in like Portland for like 25 years now. And he still has that, uh, Pac the con Harvard yard accent. You know, I think that's amazing too. <laughs> Um, well, let's talk about the most inspirational wrestler that year. Yeah. Um, 81, I'm thinking to me, I'm seeing probably a lot more, you know, Memphis and some uh, Georgia championship. So uh, I don't know what he'd done to get this, but it was uh, probably um, because he's working for, you know, the Northeast Territory up there. Don't know why he's the most inspirational, but it was Bob Bachlin, man. Yeah. Um, he had a great I, career. What do you say? He was in this, this by this time in '81. That's his fourth, seventy fourth year as the champion. Yeah, and, um, and with two to go. Yeah. So I don't know if it's inspiring uh, that he was still the champion after those four years, or just his work ethic, because uh, the man had a work ethic, man, and uh, it was in tremendous shape. Uh, done his. Dennis, how do you do the interviews, or however you want to call them? Merit's not a dig towards them, just nope. saying it wasn't like it was overly. Uh, he was just a baby face, that all American good guy baby face that was over, you know, and stayed over. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, I have to imagine just because he was still like only a handful of years off from being the Olympic hero. And yeah. now he'd had this lock on the title and, you know, what he's the, the next biggest champion compared to Bruno, I have to imagine at this point. Um, I, yeah, it makes me wonder if there was something going on story-wise or in his real life that had the most yeah. inspirational thing. Yeah. The next one, I'm thinking somebody got paid off for this one, Bobby. Yeah, I'll I tell you what we should have done, too, mm-hmm. and I apologize to you. Um, I know we both had kind of quirky weeks. We talked about that off the yeah. air. Yeah. Um, this rookie of the year, I'm wondering who else broke in in 81 that could have 
could have gotten this title for PWI Rookie of the Year. But as you said, we only mentioned two last week, and that was the most improved with Sullivan. And then this one you're here because you said what you just now said, that someone's paid off. Yep. David, David Sarmatino, um, you know, uh, not to take anything away from him, man, but, man, he had some big shoes to fill to follow in yeah. his dad's footsteps. Um a lot of territory to cover. You know, he had he had a uh, you know big big build. Um, definitely showed as a rookie. Even after his rookie year, he looked like you know still needed you know much more improvement. Um, and I didn't do enough research to say, well, you know who else broke in in '81. But anyway, um, anyway, that's who the rookie of the year was in 1981. And what are your thoughts about that? Same. Um. Okay, so just, I don't know, like, he should have chosen a different career path. I don't want to talk about his wrestling skill. Look, I'm not a yeah. wrestler. I can't really, I can't really talk about that part of it. When your father is Bruno fucking San Martino, and look, you were born here in the States, so you don't have quite the same ethnic Italian thing that you can lean on like Bruno did. You're not going to be as good in ring as Bruno was. You're never going to be, like, as strong as Bruno was. You're yeah. never going to be as fucking over. I don't care how much fucking grease Bruno puts on you. You should have used a different name, maybe, or gone and worked a different territory, maybe, or, yeah. you know, I mean, this is the thing that happens. I mean, you got to look at the great guy. It's not that he was a bad wrestler, but he was always just smaller than everybody else. The Eric right. Watts, who just never was as good as he could have been, and David San Martino, I'd say the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's just like, change your name, go try something else. You know, like, yeah. look, Nicholas Cage is actually Nick Coppola, but he didn't want to get yeah. by on that. He changed his name. Now, the fact that he made such a career after such ham-fisted acting, that's the amazing part. Right. But absolutely. instead of, yeah, instead of riding coattails, he wanted to go and try something different. Um, David San Martino, probably, if he didn't work with his dad, he probably would have had had to have stretched a little harder and tried a little harder and maybe improved a little more because I'm sure fucking everybody's like, Oh, don't fuck with him. That's Bruno's kid. Yeah. And I'm just wondering though, how much of his heart was in it though? You know, I don't know. Um, obviously he didn't want it as bad as dad did, you know, being an immigrant coming here and and working, you know, with the work ethic he had, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But, um, maybe his heart just wasn't even in it. Maybe, maybe that was some pressure put on him. You, this is what you're supposed to do. But he had other feelings like, you know, uh, that's not really what I'm supposed to do. Um, I'll give it a try, but I, I have other aspirations with my life. You know, he's like, I want to dance. Dad, don't make me wrestle. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we mentioned this earlier, PWI's editor of the award that went to Bruno Sarmatino. Again, they've named that after a ma- an editor of that magazine, um, and I'm drawing a blank on his name. And, okay, so this one here, if you would ask me this one, um, I might have been 50-50 um, on a multiple choice. I'll say that. Manager of the year. Would you have known who it was? No. No. Okay. 81, I'm thinking I wouldn't have either. I, I'd have went with, uh, you know, someone probably from the AWA or from the NWA or Georgia, some, someone I was more familiar with. Uh, but um, go ahead and tell us who it was there. Well, Captain. it was Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> there you uh, go. Riding, riding the rubber bands to the wind. But yeah, for me, yeah, I would have said, like, Bobby Heenan. Yeah. 
that's, that, that's who come to my mind first. Johnny Valiant? And, uh, Johnny Valiant, maybe? Arnold Scotland, maybe? Mm-hmm. Those would have been like... Scotland? Yeah. Yeah, those off the top of my head, those would have been my three. Yeah. How about you? I'd, I'd have probably said uh, uh, Jimmy Hart, probably, and Bobby Heenan, those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, right off the top of my head, you know. Um, so, yeah. That's 81, so yeah. Hart was, you know, doing pretty good in, in Mid-South then, um, and I'd seen Heenan around, so yeah, one of those two probably. Yeah, and, and Heenan, AWA Heenan was a much bigger dick, evil maniac than he was when he got to the WWF. While he yeah. was still still a bad guy and like an expert villain and heel, he was also comedy heel a lot. Yeah. Whereas... comedy too. Yeah, he could take those bumps like crazy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But um, when he was in the AWA, he was just a fucking heel. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and good at it. Um, now, Lou Albano, no slouch. No, no. Uh, I just, he's never top of mind with me, you know, except for right. like, uh, hey, who was the best live action version of Mario? Okay, that's Lou Albano. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he had the Samoans, man. He, mm-hmm. he had the Samoans. Um, uh I'm trying to think. So, yeah, I should probably put him up there higher than what I had him probably. He just didn't come to mind doing this. Um, okay, real quickly, Jeremy, before we go to number four, I'm going to plug my books if you don't mind. Oh, please do. Um, folks, these books, hopefully, um, the professor here has got a couple of shortcuts to getting my books. Uh my first book is called Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boost Will Travel. If you'll go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1, it'll take you right to that book, and you can order it right there from the site off Amazon. The show does get a little bit of kickback. That's why we ask you to go through the uh, sites that the professor has set up. Um, and it, it kind of funds the, the program as little as we do fund the program. We appreciate it. Um, my second book is I kicked out on two, The Educational Wrestler. If you'll go to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2, it'll take you right to the link for that book. Um, I get to sell a book. Uh, the uh, affiliate account under the professor there gets a couple of dimes or nickels or whatever, and everyone smiles and um, everyone's happy, and I hope you enjoy the book when you read it. I've got a couple other books on Amazon as well. They're the short stories, uh, little two ninety nine short story uh, books there. Um, one's about Christmas. One's about yard time. We're running a uh, wrestling show in a prison, and one's a little erotica. Uh, romance type book just trying a different genre on my um, site there but please do us a favor and visit those sites um, tinyurl.com slash blazebook1 will get you pin me pay me tinyurl.com slash blazebook2 will take you to I kicked that on to the educational wrestler uh, please leave a review if you've enjoyed one of my books and also if you're enjoying this podcast on iTunes Stitcher Spotify or wherever you're listening to it at Please feel free to leave us a fair and honest review there as well. We appreciate it very much. And make sure you tell a friend. We we really need those retweets. We need those reviews. And we appreciate all you do as a wrestling fan listening to our podcast because we think, um, minus a few F-bombs here and there, and we haven't been too bad today, uh, we've got a pretty good podcast, and I think our loyal fans know that. So uh, we appreciate you all very much. Very Anything much. Anything, Professor? 
Um, no, I think we're gonna we're gonna try to add to the library a little bit this year, um, but we're okay. still kind of working things out, so we'll deal yep. with that when we can. Um, and please, everybody, yeah, if you don't have it yet, go buy Bobby's book. If you know somebody who is a wrestling fan who would enjoy it, buy it for them if you already have it. And that's what I have to say mm. about that. Okay. My ears keep popping, so I try to ramble through that pretty quick, so I hope I was understandable. Yeah, I, I got to say, you're holding that pretty well, because I've had water Good. in my ear before, and, and it's a motherfucker. So thank you for hanging in so far. Well, yeah, so far so good. I finished up a little bit of orange drink I've had. I've got some water here. I keep trying to pop it. I keep trying to turn my head. Um, my neck cracked there for a second ago, and that kind of relieved it on that one side. So hopefully by the time we get off here, I'm going to put some heat on there or what have you. Yeah. But I don't think it's anything to be concerned about people. Um, I'm tougher than that, or I like to think I am. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe talking, I used to be. <laughs> talking about a guy who beat Jerry Lawler, but it's going to be an ear infection makes you cry, huh? That's it, man. Yeah, tap out to that. Uh, that's that's no laughing matter for it sure. Really, it really isn't. Yeah. Ear infections are the shits, man. Yeah. Um, All right, let's move on to number four here. Professor put this in here, retirements and death that took place in 1981. Um, I'm not going to guess where all these people were born, what year they were born, although Professor got down, but I can tell you one thing. I think they all passed away in 1981. They all passed away in 1981, <laughs> and actually yeah. those those years are the starts of their careers. Oh, okay, is that it is? Okay. Yeah, so gotcha. you'll notice everybody's got a 30 to 40 year career here. Okay, you know? yeah, I see now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Black Shadow, um, he had a, what, 40 year career? He he retired that year. Tony Bourne had a 30 year career, retired that year. Probably the biggest name on this list for our purposes is going to be yeah. Vern Gagne, retired in 1981. Uh, retired as AWA World Champion, which led to them handing the world title to Nick Bockwinkle, but again, He's Nick Bockwinkle. If you're going to hand the title to somebody, it's him. That's right. Uh, Dutch Savage retired that year, uh, had a 20-year career. So there's there's the one short-timer on the list. Mm-hmm. And the Missouri Mauler retired that year, 1950 to 1981, a 31-year career. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, the biggest death I came across that year, at least for our purposes, was Killer Buddy Austin down in L.A. He was WWA okay. World Champion in Los Angeles. Um, he was just one of those guys that was like for 20, 25 years, he was just like a name down there and continuously, yeah. you know, uh, <clears throat> continuously went up against people for the WWA world championship, which where was a version in LA and a version in Detroit at this point. But I think the Detroit one had folded <clears throat> and LA would fold okay. the next year. So we got that. Now we got debuts and defections is the next one. And this is, yeah. Okay, so th- well, I'm going to have to follow on this because this is the first name you put on this list, right? Yeah. Rookie of the Year. Who, who premiered in 1981? Tiger Mask premiered in 1981. But who won Rookie of the Year? David San Martino. <laughs> yeah, so uh, April 23rd of 1981, Tiger Mask defeats, uh, debuts and defeats the Dynamite Kid. And, man, did they have some matches that really changed the way other wrestlers looked at the wrestling business, as did the fans. Yeah, uh, they could do some stuff in the ring that had never been done before, or seen before. But the way they did it, it made it still look like a combat sport. It wasn't just two guys flying around and and whirly dirling and twirling and and doing flips and flops and and all that. They was they were doing very competitive type aerial type moves and and. Um, Looked a little rough doing them, uh, like they were struggling. Even though they could do them, they were struggling. The struggle was still on 
out of a top wrist lock to run over to the top rope to do a backflip to reverse it, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, it was it was done in a way that it still looked competitive and believable, you know. Um, so yeah, uh, big debut there, and there there's your rookie of the year, at least in Japan. Maybe not PWI, but yeah. <clears throat> I would imagine. Yeah, now my voice is starting to go out. Um, That's all right. We're almost done. Well, yeah, and, you know, okay, so Dynamite Kid, very... Not that I want your voice to go out. I'm, well, I'm just saying yeah. we're almost done with our list. <laughs> but Dynamite Kid, very acrobatic, even though he was built. He had a heavy build. He was not yeah. like a slight guy. I mean, he had a big muscular build and could still move around like that. Yeah. Um, you know, Tiger Mask, also not a little guy, but, you know, definitely it showed more with Dynamite Kid, I think. And there is a thing. They were some of the first guys to have matches like this, so it is going to look rougher. I mean, now, 40 years later, people can go back and watch Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask and go, oh, I could do that better. Well, yeah, because there's been 40 years of continuous improvement. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, that <clears throat> at the end of that year, yeah, stunningly, in December, at a uh, Bruiser Brody match in um, All Japan, and Stan Hansen, the NJPW mainstay for Anoki, is is a bru uh, Bruiser's corner man, and he stays at AJPW after this point. And this was just a stunning shift over there. So uh, he jumps from uh, J All Japan or uh, from New Japan to, to All Japan at this point, correct? Yep, from Anoki to Baba, yeah. Yeah, and stays there the rest of his career, and. Later that month is when he had the match with Andre, correct? Yes, it is. December 23rd. So mm -hmm. just a, uh, they've already had a, who knows what kind of, I read the outlaw, the last outlaw, um, trying to think how those meetings took place, but he already had some things, you know, pretty much lined up. It wasn't like, um, you know, we're going to, we're going, if I'm coming, we're going to do business, you know. So here he is uh, as Brody's corner man, and then also um, uh, 10 days later from that, wrestling um, Andre. Uh, Andre the Giant. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, and one of the things that I think is – now, I came across some stories about Anoki this same year, and his, um, he was still carrying the NWF title, which was a defunct American title that he carried for 20 years or something. Yeah, that's um, what you've told me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think when you worked for Anoki, when Anoki was in his heyday, you could nobody could get past Anoki. Yeah. Whereas Baba, when he realized that his time was over, he started to face himself to a background position and push other people. Yeah. And does some tag team stuff, does some background stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was probably, you know, if you're looking at it and you're going, you know, look... Yeah, wrestling is prearranged. We, you know, the innings are prearranged. The champions mm -hmm. are picked. Blah, whatever. Your ego is still going to get involved a little bit. And oh if, yeah, yeah. And if you're looking at it and you're like, well, yeah, but you know, as long as Anoki is healthy and alive, I'm never going to be world champion or whatever the major promotional championship or anything. I'll never be the guy. But if you go to work for Baba and Baba is like slowing down and taking less of the matches and you know like you said backing people up in tag team and six man tag matches, that has to look appealing. Yeah, and that has to look real appealing, you know. And mm -hmm. Stan Hansen, of course, would go on at All Japan to be the biggest star, the definitely biggest uh, Gaijin star ever. Yeah. The 
the only dispute on that would be, mm-hmm. I would think, had Brody lived, it would be a dispute between which one of those two would have been, you know. Yep. But where Brody passed uh, away, um, end up being Stan, you know, uh, no doubt the biggest, uh, you know, Gajim star of all time over there. So um, I think that would be the only, only. Uh, way that that's that's and that that would have been did we be saying a different conversation we say two of the greatest because i would imagine they both would have went out around the same oh, time you know I, yeah and, i would um, think so so i don't think it would have been disputable i think it would have been you know man these two guys here done it you know yeah think so. think of all the fucking matches that that asshole in puerto rico robbed us with by that oh, fucking yeah. move yeah um, um so you got a name written down here yeah um, king kong bundy tell me well, King Kong Bundy debuted in 1983, um, and the reason he stands out to me is, first off, I can hear Jim Cornette doing Ernie Ladd's voice. Bundy, you big <laughs> dummy, come sit yeah. yeah. I Just that stands out to me, but also at the point where I was really paying attention to WWF wrestling, Bundy was kind of the lead guy going after Hogan. I mean, I think Paul now, Orgorf, is this 81? This is 81, so it's a little before okay. that. I think okay. Bundy. I think Bundy might have still had hair at this point. See, that's what I'm thinking. He had hair when he first came on. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you know, for me, like I remember that point where Bundy was the guy that broke Hogan's ribs, and he was kind of the point man in what would that have been like '85, uh, going after uh, going after Hogan for the Bobby Heenan family. Okay. So I thought it was worth pointing out because I think a two. Okay. I think of two villains from that era. I think of Big John Studd and King Kong Bundy. Okay. Okay, so broke in in 81. Didn't yep. know that. All right, so we have some other sports here. I just try to have some fun with this and get ready to take it home after that. Uh, the NBA, the champions, I knew this. Uh, I, I knew all these except for hockey, actually, mm-hmm. um, because being in high school and being a sports fan, I knew them all. So uh, I think you probably would have known a couple of them off the top of your head. I'll go up the NBA champs with the Boston Celtics. Uh, I know during that time it was a big rivalry between uh, L.A. Lakers. Uh, I was a 76ers fan back then, um, and then Boston Celtics. Uh, so there was about four teams really that each year, you know, was battling back and forth. But uh, in 81, the Boston Celtics won the um, the NBA title. Uh, would you have known the NFL who won that title? You know, I would, I would feel comfortable at almost any point in the 80s if I were just guessing to say the 49ers. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, just because they I were your location, you yeah, that. just because they were such a big, you know, just such a that that was a dynasty, man. Yeah, that that during the eighties, they were just like you know, they were either winning or they were working their spot back up to winning. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and of course, like I think at this point, had the Raiders had moved down to L.A. by this point, or they were mm, moving yeah, to so. L.A. So we only had the one football team at the at then because normally right. up until this point we had the Niners and the Raiders, and they were both you know sixty miles away. So those yeah. were the the two teams here, and then okay. when the Raiders moved out of the area, it was like, well, fuck you guys, kind of like we're doing now, you know, <laughs> because we yeah. just yeah we just like taxpayers just put millions of dollars into a stadium for them in the San Jose area. And they're like, fuck you guys, we're going to Vegas. And we're just yeah. like, what the fuck, man? You fucking horseheads. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would think yeah. at any point in the 80s, if I were just guessing, I'd feel comfortable guessing the 49ers. Yeah. 
It had been right. Mm-hmm. Um, Major League Baseball. Uh, I follow several teams. Um, I got a couple of my favorites that um, I could tell you the years they won them, and it wasn't in '81. Um, I could have got it down to a thin. Uh, I had to think about it for a second, but it was L.A. Dodgers. And when I when I thought about it for a second, I was like, "Yep, I, I could have got that um, if you'd asked me." You know, I just I feel comfortable in knowing. You know, like you in high school, just, you know, following sports and, and just knowing, you know, okay, these, these, these are the teams that, you know, are going to win. Um, now, this next one, hockey, um, I wouldn't have got that one. We just didn't have a lot of hockey coverage in this area. We got our coverage probably from Sports Illustrated. Um, there weren't, to my knowledge, a lot of guys that went to school around here that were, you know, hockey fans or our parents were or were or anything like that. Uh, there may have been exceptions. Um, you know, had I uh, lived up east, maybe, or up in the north or somewhere, maybe, but down here, it still wasn't even, uh, excuse me, it was still coming for um, the small regional uh, east coast and uh, the uh, developmental leagues for the NHL, you know. Yeah. They started getting popular at one time here in the south, and um, uh, but, yeah, we hadn't gotten into that yet. So, and I just wasn't a hockey fan. I'd see, you know, okay, the Capitals won or, uh, you know, Red Wings won or something like that. But um, I, I, if you'd have said, well, Bobby, who won it that year? I, 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 I might have said the Bruins or something. You know, I don't even know. I'm just saying. Uh, but it was the uh, New England Islanders won that yeah. year. Would you, have, would you have gotten that? Are you into that hockey that no, much? No, no, not really. And I would have said, I don't know, some fucking Canadians. Yeah. You yeah, know? exactly. I mean, look, yeah, there's always going to, you know, there's always going to be like a handful of, you know, small enclaves of fans of sports that aren't big here. Like, you know, around here, there are a lot of Samoans that play rugby, you know, mm. but when I think of rugby, I don't think of American fans, but, you know, it's a huge sport in American Samoa. Um, yeah. And there's always a handful of rugby fans, you know, around somewhere, a handful of NHL fans. Fuck, yeah. there's a handful of curling fans, you know. But yeah, when I when I think hockey, especially in the early '80s, it was kind of like soccer. It's like, hey, it's going to be huge one day, okay, but yeah. not but not today, pal. Right. You know. Got gotcha. you. Yeah. So anyway, we thought I'll just throw it at you. Okay. The last thing here, a bit of business here before we close shop today. Number one from 1981. The big news was H. H. Hulk mm-hmm. Hogan. Hulk Hogan Tell turns Hulk Hogan turns face in 1981. Um, in August of that year, I believe it was, he ran out to stop Crusher Blackwell from handing Brad Rangans, a name that I'm surprised we don't mention more than we have, from getting a beatdown from Crusher Blackwell. Uh, during this period of time, so Hogan goes out to stop that, Johnny Valiant immediately fires Hogan and sends Blackwell <laughs> after him. Hogan has a feud with Blackwell, and he wins. Uh, by the end of 1981, he was the AWA's most popular wrestler, and that's when he would start going after Nick Bockwinkle for the AWA World Heavyweight Championship. Right. This is, I would say, the biggest game changer in pro wrestling that affects us to this day. Yeah, I agree. Good choice on picking him at number one. Yeah. From that year of 1981. That was the year that was 1981. So... Let's uh, tie up any loose ends. Got anything to say about 1981 or um, 
how you well, want to talk about anything else from that area? Uh, you know what? I just I era. think it's, I think a lot of really consequential stuff happened in 1981, and it, I every yeah. time I look at it, it just becomes more and more apparent. Uh, Hulk Hogan turning face. That mm-hmm. is the thing that changed pro wrestling. That's what allowed Vince McMahon to go national. But we also see that during this time period is when Jim Crockett started to solidify his control over at least the titles in the NWA. Yeah. Um, you know, some big names that just, you know, kind of crop up. Of course, it's like probably the last classic era of pro wrestling as a combat sport, quote unquote. If you look at who the champions are, um, you know, you got legit wrestling talent like Bob Backlund and Nick Bockwinkle are in there, you know. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. got legit wrestlers slash brawlers in the NWA championship scene with uh, Race, who is just one of the toughest sons of bitches to ever live. Uh, you know, Ric Flair, one of the one of if not the greatest pro wrestler ever, and then right. Dusty Dusty Rhodes, the second most recognizable athlete in the world. There you go, man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's for sure, a, for sure, man. That's kind of where I, I that's kind of where I ended at. Um, I'll tell you what. I hope the fans liked it. I um, enjoyed doing it with you. Um, I apologize if my voice is coming across funny or strange. I'm having a weird imbalance today in my left, well, my right ear, and it's throwing my balance off all, all crazy, man. Um. And I don't think it's anything serious. I hope it's not. I hope it's just some water in there or something. But, man, I feel more fucked up than a can of fish and worms. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm going to put some heat on this bad boy as soon as we get off of here. I can't blame you. you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of out of here. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm kind of off myself. I just slept 12 hours while sober. So that's wow. really weird. Um, well, you know what, Bobby? That being said, that was the year that was 1981. So... Everybody, thank you for listening. For the late Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and the guy I'm going to start referring to as Double B, Bobby Blaze. Bye-bye, everybody.